Well, let me, let me read for us Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you so much for this time that we have now to gather around your word and hear you speak to us. Lord, wherever folks are watching this from now, I pray that you would just give them stillness and an opportunity to focus on who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus. And help us understand, Lord, how we should live in response to that. Show us how good it is to live life in relationship with you. Show us how that affects all of our other relationships for good and for relational flourishing. Spirit of God, be with us now, we pray. Speak to our hearts. Open our minds so that we might see glory here and have great joy as we meet with you in these words. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
So I want today to talk about vulnerability. None of us enjoy feeling vulnerable, do we? When we're vulnerable, we don't feel safe. We don't feel protected. To be vulnerable means that you are in a position where you can be more easily hurt physically, emotionally, and that can be scary. It is scary. And so to begin today, I simply want us to note that our natural instinct is to avoid being vulnerable. You know, most of us naturally move to eliminate the vulnerabilities in our lives. We create savings account for that rainy day when the roof falls in or the boiler breaks. Uh, we buy cars that are five-star crash tested uh, so that if there is a crash, we won't get hurt. We get vaccinated to make ourselves COVID proof because vulnerability exposes our weaknesses where we can be hurt. And more often than not, we work to protect our weaknesses, to make ourselves invulnerable. And we see the danger that vulnerability brings in the story of Ruth. Let me just recap what we have seen over the past three weeks to this point. Uh, in chapter one, we've met Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and they are vulnerable. They've both been widowed whilst living in the land of Moab and they return to Bethlehem destitute. Uh, this story occurs, I don't know, we're not entirely sure, but roughly around 1100 BC. Uh, it's a male-dominated society at that time. There's no welfare state. So widows are extremely vulnerable. They're not able to provide for themselves. And in chapter two, we saw last week that Ruth goes out into the fields, hoping that she'll be able to gather up enough food uh, behind the workers who are harvesting uh, the barley to keep her and her mother-in-law alive. And again, this is a vulnerable situation. Naomi even says as much in uh, verse 22 of chapter 2. You can scan your eyes back there. Working alone in a stranger's field, surrounded by men, could and perhaps often did result in women being harmed and taken advantage of. So... Ruth is forced to risk herself in order to help uh, herself but, uh, and, and Naomi survive. But while she's there in the fields, vulnerable, she is noticed by Boaz. And Boaz is essentially everything that Ruth wants in a guy. He is the landowner, so he can provide for her. He's righteous. He knows God and uh, he loves God. And he also knows God's law um, that uh, God, God commands his people in the Old Testament to protect the widow and the foreigner. And Ruth is both of those things. Uh, and he's kind to Ruth too. He welcomes Ruth with great generosity and kindness. Chesed is the word used in Hebrew. It's the same kind of loving kindness that God shows to his people. Boaz welcomes Ruth. He protects her. He lets her collect way more barley than she would ever have expected. And when Ruth returns to Naomi in, in verse 20 of chapter 2, there's this exciting conversation between them. Because not only is Boaz seemingly romantically interested in Ruth, at least possibly anyway, because he's taken this unusual degree of interest in her. 
But he is also a close relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech, which makes Boaz one of their guardian redeemers. Now that concept, the concept of the guardian redeemer is important for us to understand today because in the law of God for Israel at that time, God had made it clear that if a family member fell into need, their relatives were expected to help them. They were to redeem them. And that word redeem is a word that God uses in the first instance to describe himself. God in Exodus chapter 6 is the redeemer of Israel. And what we see here in the story of Ruth is a, is a, a, a clear unpacking of the way in which as God's people follow and obey him, we act like God to one another. We display the characteristics of God to one another. And so Boaz, uh, through Boaz, Ruth begins to experience chesed, the, the loving kindness of God. And with him on the scene, things are looking up. He is the one who, in the immediate sense, can end their vulnerability. He seems like this dream guy. He's godly, he's wealthy, he's noticed Ruth, and he shows her exceptional kindness, and he is a guardian redeemer. Clearly, they are expecting Boaz to uh, make his move and ask Ruth to marry him. But then, he never calls. That's what happens between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. Boaz never calls. Verse 23 of chapter 2 tells us that the harvest is finishing. What that means is that the window of opportunity for them to get together is closing. Day after day, Ruth is in the field, wondering if Boaz is going to show up and maybe ask her out for a drink, maybe catch a movie afterwards. And as time goes on, they realise, she, she realises, Naomi realises that nothing is happening. And the harvest season. Ruth's reason for running into Boaz is, is slipping away. And so at the beginning of chapter 3, Naomi, like every good mother-in-law, sticks her nose into someone else's business. And she comes up with this plan that we, uh, that we read just a few moments ago. Now, let's just talk about this plan for a moment. Because what happens here is she places Ruth in a position of extreme vulnerability. Remember I told you a couple of weeks back that Ruth is uh, narrative, it's not normative. What I mean by that is it describes what happened, not necessarily what we should do. Not every part of the Bible we should just uh, enact and do exactly the same as. And this is one of those moments. You see, Naomi, she knows that Baez is going to be working late on the threshing floor. It's where the workers process the barley to get it ready for sale. And in verse 3 she tells Ruth, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, you don't need to be a parent of daughters to know that this is horrible advice, isn't it? I mean, if you do have daughters today, don't ever tell them to go and do something like this. This is not wise. It's not even clever. It's just desperate. To throw this into sharper relief, 
There is a passage in the, uh, in the book of Hosea, chapter 9, verse 1, where God condemns Israel for their sin. And he says this, he says, Do not rejoice, Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations. For you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. So, in other words, what we're seeing there is that at the end of a long day in the fields, prostitutes would come to the threshing floor to sleep with the labourers. That is, it's sin. It's what God condemns Israel for in the book of Hosea. And that is the situation that Naomi sends Ruth into. Ruth, go get glammed up, pluck those eyebrows, slap on some lippy, slip into something attractive. And then once Boaz is asleep, go and lie down next to him, pull back the cover and do whatever he tells you. Now, that's only going to end in one of two ways, right? We know that. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that 99 times out of 100, one of two things is probably going to happen here. First, probably they have sex. Boaz would not be the first person to give into sexual temptation. He certainly wouldn't have been the last. Now, let's talk about sex for a moment. The Bible is very clear. Sex is a good gift that God has given to be enjoyed between a husband and wife in the context of marriage. Uh, that is what sex is for. Anything else outside of that is sin. Now you might say, but Pete, come on, Boaz is a Christian guy. He'd never do this. I mean, if that's the way of thinking, come on guys, uh, he would. He definitely would. Uh, enough, that story has happened enough times for us to not be so naive just to say, just because a guy professes to be a Christian, just because a guy uh, is following God, doesn't mean he can't fall into sexual temptation. You know, that story happens, I've come across it in, in a whole variety of different ways, whether it's hooking up with someone on a dating app, meeting someone in a club and things going too far, watching a movie at home and things get out of control. Lust is a powerful force. And so often people sin sexually, particularly when one of the parties is vulnerable. And that ranges from date rape or even violence and murder, like the horrific case recently with Sarah Everard, right through to only going too far with someone by manipulating their feelings of loneliness and isolation. It's abusive, all of it. It's exploitative. If they are not your spouse, their sexuality is not yours to enjoy. But when people are vulnerable, and I say people, it's, it's often women, but it can be men too. Where, where there is vulnerability, sexual manipulation and abuse is never far away. So there is a high likelihood that they have sex, right? We know this. But of course, it could also go a very different way. Because the second way this ends is that he shames her. Boaz is a godly guy. He would have known that this is sin. And all it would take is for him to raise his voice to alert those around that this Moabite woman had come to tempt him. And Ruth was done. Her reputation would be ruined. Any chance of remarriage, slim though it already was, would be gone. 
He was all the proof that they needed. Moab was their godless enemy. This Moabitess was a foreigner amongst them and she was a temptress come to draw godly, upright Boaz away from faithfulness and holiness, ultimately away from God. Vulnerability opens us up to being abused, but it also opens us up to being shamed. And that can come in all different kinds of forms too. In marriage, we might feel the shame of rejection when we seek intimacy and are turned down or ignored. Or we share some of our anxieties and deepest fears with someone we trust, only to be mocked and questioned. These things hurt. When we're vulnerable, it can often lead to shame, the pain of being embarrassed. And so, as we said a few minutes ago, our natural instinct is to avoid being vulnerable, to shut people out, to make ourselves invulnerable so that we cannot be hurt. But what I want to show you in the time remaining is, is two things, really. The first is this. God's grace protects us in our vulnerability. Sometimes vulnerability is unavoidable. For Ruth in this situation, being asked to do this, it's an incredibly difficult choice. Obey her mother-in-law and, and take this huge risk to provide for their family or stay home, remain impoverished and lose Boaz for good. That seems to be the, cho the choice that is in front of her. Sometimes, often, vulnerability is unavoidable. It's, it's placed upon us. We don't choose it. And Ruth shows us that when we find ourselves in such a position, our default must be to cast ourselves upon God's grace and kindness to help us. Now that, that isn't our default, is it? Let's be honest with one another. When we're vulnerable, we tend to try and fix things ourselves rather than turn to God for help. I mentioned it, uh, I've mentioned before that I lived in the United States for almost three years. And whilst we were there, on one occasion, we realised we were about to run out of money. Someone had done the maths wrong. Partly my fault, definitely my fault. And, uh, you know, being at the time an assistant pastor um, in the church out there, studying for my master's at seminary, I did what every godly upright person would do in that situation. And I tried to fix it myself. I called people. I tried to find second jobs that I could fit in. I went to my current employer to see if there's any way they could uh, move things around to help me out. And it was only when none of that worked that I realised I needed to pray. That should have been my default. I needed to ask God for grace to protect me in my vulnerability. And that's what Ruth does here. She goes to the threshing floor. She approaches Boaz when he's asleep. She lies down at his feet. But know with me, when in verse 9 he asks her who she is, she answers, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. I don't want us to miss what's going on here because I think it is easy to misinterpret what she's doing. What, what's happening here is that she is appealing to God's grace. She tells Boaz to spread the corner of his garment over her. That might first appear to us like she's asking to get into bed with him. But she's not. Because she is using the exact same phrase that Boaz used in chapter 2, verse 12, where he said to Ruth, and if you have a Bible, just look back with me for a moment. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings 
you have come to take refuge. Now, I don't entirely know why, but the NIV translates that phrase differently between chapters 2 and 3. But in the Hebrew, it is exactly the same phrase, word for word. Ruth is saying to Boaz, spread your wings over me. Spread the corner of your garment over me. Same phrase. Just as you prayed, God would spread the corner of his garment or his wings over me for my protection. Essentially, she's saying to Boaz, answer your own prayer, Boaz. Be the conduit by which God's, God's grace blesses and protects me. Marry me. That's what she's asking here. Marry me. But this request, which makes her vulnerable, is rooted in an appeal to God's kindness using Boaz's own words to her, and also based upon God's own law. The provision for a guardian redeemer to protect people such as Ruth. You see, our hope in our vulnerability is the grace and loving kindness of God. Not our own ability to work it out, but God. He must be the one to whom we appeal, the one on whom we depend. That is where our hope lies. In the one who loves us and loves us and loves us and is upright and good and powerful and ready to help on a daily basis in the everyday. Working his redemption out in those moments where we feel most vulnerable. God's grace protects us in our vulnerability. He is the one to whom we must turn. That's our first takeaway today. But the second is this. To experience true love we must choose to be vulnerable now surely that goes against pretty much everything i've said over the past few minutes right but stick with me here because there's a problem with the approach that says i will never be vulnerable some of you know this there's a problem with that approach because more or more what we're discovering is that vulnerability is the doorway to deeper connection with one another, to building relationships, to finding and experiencing friendship and love. Some of you have heard of Brene Brown. Uh, she is a research professor at the University of Houston. And one of the things that she is known for is giving one of the most watched TED Talks of all time. Uh, perhaps you remember TED Talks, not sure uh, if anyone really watches TED Talks anymore, but about five, 10 years ago, they were like all the rage. Uh, experts standing in front of an audience, uh, for about 15 minutes sharing something that's impactful or enlightening. And Brene Brown's talk on vulnerability has been viewed millions and millions of times. She's not a Christian, so I don't agree with everything that she has to say, but a lot of what she says is really interesting. Uh, and one of the things she notes from her research is that choosing to be vulnerable is necessary for relational connection. When we shut vulnerability down, because we fear being hurt, uh, what we end up doing is shutting down our ability to experience joy and creativity and love and belonging. Relationships flourish when we choose to be vulnerable with one another, when we take the first step, when we're willing to say, I love you first, when we invest in a relationship that may not work out, when we do something that isn't, we're not guaranteed to succeed. That requires vulnerability, it's inherently risky. But if we don't take that risk, 
We don't get to experience ultimately what love truly is. Now hear me, that doesn't mean, and Brene Brown is not arguing for, recklessness in our relationships. But it is something that, vulnerability is something that we must do in order to know a love like Ruth experienced from Boaz that night. Look with me, her risk to be vulnerable was met with love. And what Boaz does is he shows us both, shows us both what is on offer in love and also how we are to love ourselves when other, others risk vulnerability with us. Here are some of the ways in which he loves her. So verse 10, he delights in her. As Mark said last week, Ruth in many ways was not necessarily much of a catch. She was a Moabite. She was impoverished. She has Naomi as a tag along two for one deal, which is not actually that exciting and enticing. She's not the guy that, uh, the girl that all the other guys are chasing. The Bible often in the Old Testament describes the beauty of certain women. It doesn't describe Ruth that way. So she may not have been particularly beautiful herself. Yet to Boaz, she's amazing. See that? He sees her approach to him not as desperation, but as kindness. She's being kind to him. He is delighted and he, is, and he expresses that. You know, love is not quiet, guys. We, we must, must hear this today. Love is not quiet. If you love someone, express it. You must. Or their efforts to be vulnerable are disappointed. Love expresses delight. That's the first thing we see. He delights in her. Secondly, verse 11, he acts for her. You know, it's true. Words are cheap. It's easy to say you love someone. It's much harder to show them. But Boaz is determined here. He says, don't be afraid which must have been music to Ruth's ears in that moment because you can guarantee she was very afraid in that moment. Do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. I'll marry you. I'll redeem you. It's at this point he introduces the fact that there is someone else. There is another guardian redeemer who is actually first in line to redeem Ruth. Uh, we'll talk about that next week, but Boaz says, look, if this other guy is not willing to redeem you, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. What does Ruth need in this moment? She doesn't need sexual intimacy. She doesn't need compliments. She needs marriage to protect her vulnerability and provide security for love. Can I suggest to you all today that despite all the cultural changes, despite the past 3,000 or so years that, 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 that are between today and then, this is still true for us. Love flourishes in the context of covenantal marriage. When people say, I do till death us do part. I will never, 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 never leave you, no matter what. Love acts. It is not passive. It does not take advantage. It does not shame. It acts. Real love 
expresses its delight not only through words but through actions and Boaz acts here. Thirdly, verses 13 and 14, he protects her. Boaz protects her physically. He tells her, lie here till morning. It's dark. Don't go back home by yourself. It's not safe. You don't know who you're going to run into between the fields out in the rural areas getting back into the centre of Bethlehem. Stay here with me. I'll keep you safe until morning. And then in the morning, he sends her off early again to protect her reputation. He says, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. People talk, don't they? People assume the worst. Even if nothing has happened, as in this instance, is clearly nothing did happen. People, people's reputations can be ruined. But love protects the one in, who, in whom it delights and acts for. Unless we express vulnerability, we cannot experience the joy of, of the protection afforded to us by others. Because all the time we're just saying, hey, I don't need protection. I protect myself. I don't need you to look out for me. But when you're vulnerable with someone, or, with, or when someone is vulnerable with you, if you love them, you protect them. Boaz does that here for Ruth. And also, we see in verse 15, that he provides for her. He provides for her. He loads her up with as much barley as, he, as she can carry and sends her on her way. In her vulnerability, she depended upon God's grace and is met in Boaz with a love that she so desperately needed. It's everyday redemption. It's God's love flowing into her life through the connection, the relational connection she has with this man. And she experiences a love that delights in her, acts for her, protects and provides for all of her needs. You know, so many people today don't know what love is. They struggle to tell you, they can't define it. But this is what love is. It delights, it acts, it protects, it provides. Let me ask you today, how are you doing when it comes to love? Loving those who are vulnerable with you. Does the kind of love that you show encourage people to be vulnerable with you? If not, perhaps you need to show them that you're willing to love them like this. In that sense, you need to take the risk. You need to make the first move. You know, this is how we want our relationships to be, isn't it? We want to be loved like this. But, ex to, but to experience true love, we need to choose to be vulnerable, to take the risk, knowing that there's no guarantees that it works out. But here's the thing about that risk. And this is my final point with which I'll close. God's grace frees us to be vulnerable with one another. If we belong to Jesus, then we can say with confidence today that no matter what is going on in life, no matter how vulnerable we feel, no matter how hard things become, we are loved like this. We came to Jesus vulnerable, like Ruth to Boaz. We had nothing to offer, nothing to commend us. Our sin 
didn't commend us, it condemned us. It made us vulnerable. And how did Jesus treat us? He didn't shame us. He didn't reject us. He didn't take advantage of us. He didn't make us earn our acceptance and our love. No, he delighted in us. He saw us as we truly are. And he loved us anyway. He loved us and delighted in us. He acted in that love. And he went to the cross. He bled and he died to make us his own. He protects us still today. In this moment, if you belong to Jesus, you are protected by a love that is mighty and which in which we can take refuge, a love that cannot be lost. And he provides for us. This is our hope, that our God is with us, that he is for us and that nothing will keep us from caring, nothing will keep him from caring for us for the rest of eternity. No matter how vulnerable we we become, we cannot risk the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. It is ours forever if we belong to him. And as we grow in our experience of this love that we receive from Christ, we come to understand that it's all satisfying, that it's all that we need. And what that does, one of the many things that it does, is that it frees us to be vulnerable with one another. We can take that risk. Because our joy, our happiness, our peace, our life is not dependent upon the love that we receive from one another. It's dependent on the love that we receive from Christ and we will never lose that. And so as as freed people who are able to take the risk to be vulnerable with one another, it opens us up to experience love and grace as it comes not just from God, but through relationship with one another. You know, this is one of the ways uh, that I differ with Brene Brown. She says, people choose to live vulnerable lives when they believe that they are worthy of love. So her solution is, look, love yourself. If you love yourself, you will naturally be someone who opens yourself up in in vulnerability to other people and, and you'll experience more and more love that way. You'll naturally take the risks. Well, the gospel says, that we're not worthy of love. We're sinners, we made ourselves unworthy. And if we look deep down, we know that that's true. Actually, the fact that we don't take the risk is evidence that we know that we aren't really worthy of that love. But we're free to be vulnerable because we are loved anyway. Jesus loves us and our freedom is not based on our worth but on his work at the cross for us so let me invite you today to choose vulnerability in your relationships with one another trust god to protect you in that and remember you are loved and as we do that we will experience more of what it means to be loved with, the, with kindness and compassion, both in our relationships with one another and in our relationship with God himself. Let me pray for us uh, and then we'll close. Father, thank you for speaking to us today. 
we know that we struggle to be vulnerable. We don't like to be vulnerable. Uh, it's, it's scary to put ourselves out there. Um, and I pray for those of us who are vulnerable right now, Lord, I ask, please, would you protect us in that? Provide your grace for us so that uh, our vulnerability doesn't lead to shame or abuse. But rather, Lord, I pray that we would know deeply how much you love us. That that love would be the source of our stability and our joy and our sustenance in our life. And that as a result of that, we would feel freed to take the risks of being vulnerable with one another so that our relationships can grow in love. And we can experience and give and share love in our friendships, in our marriages, with our children, so that our joy and our experience of your goodness in our lives would grow and grow and grow. Father, do these things by your spirit at work amongst us, we pray for the glory of Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.